Pastor Xavier Reese and the power of the cross. For now, we are known as saints, believers, brothers, sisters, the faithful sons and daughters of God, even Christians. Before Christ, we were called sinners, lost, enemies, children of wrath. What a difference. Old things are passed away, everything has become new by God's grace. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Our government is supposed to be for the people, by the people, but somehow the people have taken second place to the personal agendas of those in charge. But there still is one form of representation that is for the people and will always be for the people. Today, as he continues his series from the book of Isaiah, Pastor Xavier reveals this incredible power source. Let's listen. Isaiah 65, verses 1 through 16. The message is entitled, God Answers Prayer. Isaiah not only was sent to tell the people about their sin, but to intercede for the nation due to the fact that there was no intercessor. But notice that the prophet Isaiah has faithfully pleaded for God's mercy over the sinful nation in the last two chapters, chapter 63 and 64. And he ends his intercession by asking this question to God at the end of chapter 64, verse 12. Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? God proceeds to give his response in the following two chapters. What we want to do is focus on the first 16 verses which gives us a threefold response to the prophet Isaiah. Let's begin here with the first seven verses. God declared that he answers prayer without partiality. God's response to them was, here I am, here I am. Notice God identifies the people as a nation that was not called by his name. In fact, he says when I sent a drought, you just went some other place and got some water. And I did this and you didn't respond. I did this, you didn't turn. I did this, you didn't turn. And after six, seven things that he does there, then he says, prepare to meet your God. That means judgment. Notice secondly in verse 2, God will be silent to those who reject his words. God contrasts the Gentiles to Israel whom he has sought out continually, but they have not responded to his initiation. And God has stretched out his hand all day long to a rebellious people, he says. His patience was evidence of his love for them. You know as parents that you're very patient with your children because you love them. And you go the second, third, fourth mile. This is God. His compassion poured out his mercy on them in the past. The prophet is pleading for the same mercy. Mercy is less than they deserved, but they had used up the mercy of God. They had gone so far that God says, I I'm not going to answer that way no more. Notice he says they sacrificed to demons in verse 3 there still. They sacrificed in gardens, referring to the groves of the fertility gods as we've gone through before. These, all these worship ceremonies were associated with, with sexual practices and, and uh, pagan uh, orgies and everything as as a dedication celebration of the gods of fertilities. 
But notice also they consulted and they dwelt into the occult. They consulted the dead and the graves at the cemetery, even spending the night in the tombs or the crypts. Notice verse 5, they were blind to their spiritual condition. They would say to others to stay away from them because they were holier than them. This is the epitome of it. They, in fact, were smoked to God's nose and a fire that burned all day long. I mean, that's a vivid picture. Their lifestyle was an irritant to God. Their sinful lifestyle was a habitual, ongoing practice. Notice fourthly here in verse 6 and 7. God declares that it is written before him. He's talking about the law. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Deuteronomy 32, 34, and 35. God declared, I will not keep silent but repay, even repay into their bosom. This is God's answer to Isaiah at the end of chapter 64. Will you hold your peace? Will you be silent? No. Not forever. Notice God declared that they were the second generation to follow the sins of their fathers. Both their fathers' iniquities and theirs would be judged. Burning incense in the mountains. Blaspheming him on the hills. Therefore, they would receive in accordance with their guilt in their bosom. They had chosen to follow their parents' lifestyle. They had chosen to reject God's life instruction. This is a decision for every generation. You and I have chosen. If our parents were non-believers, we came along, God ministered our heart, we chose to reject the lifestyle of our parents and to choose the instruction of God. Each generation has to make that decision. Now, my children have to make a decision whether they will continue to follow my lifestyle in the Lord or they will reject God's word and go back in the world. The ones who have the greater accountability are those who have been raised in the light. Always, to those who much is given, much is required. But by God's grace, I broke the chain of sin in our family generation, as well as my brother and my sisters. Now we'll see in the next generation, God willing, our children will choose to walk with God. We pray that they do. We intercede for them. But time will tell if they're going to walk with God or not. God declared that he answers prayer without partiality. And he uses the Gentiles as the very epitome of this. Notice secondly here. God declared that his answer to prayer would save the remnant. Here's the principle of the tares and the wheat, the sheep and the goats of Matthew 13 and Matthew 25. Notice first in verse 8 through 10. God addresses the remnant who are the faithful. The remnant is illustrated by the image of grapes. The remnant is portrayed as the new wine in a cluster. Don't destroy it. You get a whole bunch of grapes. You have maybe three quarters of them rotten. But he says, ah, we can get some juice out of that. (laughs) And he's typifying the remnant here. Here it is again, grapes. The Lord will not destroy his servants, the remnant. The Lord Jehovah would do this himself. Look at verse 9. Bringing descendants from Jacob and Judah, heirs of his mountain. Bringing his elect, they shall inherit it. Bringing his servants, they shall dwell in it. He will do it. He is faithful. And then in verse 10, God shall blossom the land. Of course, he's talking about the kingdom now. That's what he's talking about. 
Sharon, the rich coastland uh, plain extending from Tel Aviv almost to Mount Carmel, shall be full of flocks. Achor, which means trouble, remember Achan, near Jericho, will also be blessed by its herds. The provisions are God's faithful remnant. That's who they're for. For them. So God will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Remember Abraham's prayer before God? Of course he won't. And as a good Jew, he starts haggling. How about 50? How about 45? How about 50? That was the first auction in the Bible. <laughs> Abraham with God. Now notice secondly here, verse 11 and 12. God addresses now the rebellious who are the unfaithful. He distinguishes them. Don't be afraid to distinguish the faithful from the unfaithful, the saved from the lost. The sooner you distinguish them, the better off you'll know how to pray for them. It means the difference. The nature of the faithless. They forget the Lord. They forget his holy mountain. They prepare a table of, for Gad. Gad is a pagan god, which means fortune. They're going to him to find out their fortune, their future. Fortuna is a word in Spanish and in Latin. It means your fortune told. The future they furnish a drink offering to many, meaning destiny, another pagan god. So here they are seeking all these different gods to inquire about their future. Yet they had the God who held the future in his hands, but they rejected him. Even as Jeremiah says, you have committed two evils, my people. You have forsaken the fountains of living water, and you hewn out for yourself cisterns that can hold no water. Notice the consequences regarding the faithless in verse 12. God would number them for the sword. It is a play on words here from the two gods they were seeking in the previous verses. Fortune and destiny. He says, I'll give you your number. Here's your fortune. Here's your destiny. The sword. It's a play on word in the Hebrews here. All would die. The reason was they did not answer God when he heard and when God spoke. How do you respond when you're calling to your children and you know they hear you but they don't respond do you say oh bless their heart <laughs> how do you feel when, when, when you repeatedly called out to them but they don't answer now they hear the hearing is the action of the little bones and, and the eardrum and all that they, they hear but the obedience is the listening to respond and if, if there's anyone who has more patience than, than any of us put together, it's God. When God says, it's over, no one can say, you're unfair. What do we do when we run out of patience? Then somebody says, you know, you should be, you don't understand. We get in their face. <laughs> Listen, God can never be accused of being impatient or short of patience. He is the epitome of patience. The reason is that they did evil before his eyes by choosing to do those things that were not pleasing to him. It's real simple. And he was calling out to them, and they were ignoring him. Prayer in 1620 safely guided the Mayflower with the pilgrims to the New World. Prayer in 1623 saved the pilgrims' fathers from starvation. 
Prayer in 1717 at Valley Forge saved the Continental Army and won the War of American Independence. Prayer in Philadelphia saved the Constitutional Convention and gave birth to the American way of life. Prayer in 1857 saved Americans from economic destruction. Prayer in 1918 ended World War I and the lack of prayer started World War II. Prayer saved England at Dunkirk. Myriads of flyers and servicemen of all nations lost at sea were saved through prayer. Do we think otherwise as the Church of Jesus Christ? Hmm, he's so patient. The remnant of God is the true Israel of God. Paul tells us that in Romans 11. Isaiah has told us over and over again through the book. There are 144,000 Jews that God has prepared for the great tribulation. They will preach the gospel, Revelation 7, verse 1 through 8. There will be such a great revival during the great tribulation. Jew and Gentile will be saved. But he has 144,000 Jews, 12,000 12, from each tribe. The remainder of the Jews are those who are rebellious apart from the remnant. Rebellious against God due to the blindness and part of this happened to Israel, as Paul tells us in Romans 11:25. Now, the Jews have no basis for forgiveness of their sins today. They have no temple, they have no blood sacrifice, they have no high priest. So what they have done is they've turned the Day of Atonement into a day of reflection. They reflect within themselves to see what bad they've done. They try to amend for those, those bad things. Well, that's a heck of a way to come before God when no one's perfect. When he clearly has told them in their law that he only accepts blood. So it's a tragic picture of the nation even today. Though they're back in the land and God is preparing the work in the great tribulation. But as a nation, they have no basis for their sin. And if you have no basis for your sin, you do not have a relationship with God. You can say you can believe in God, but devils believe, but at least they tremble. And there will never be one devil in heaven. It must be the basis of the word. The righteous judgment of God over the Jews will be for not hearing his word. For not answering him. And as you look to the history of Israel, you cannot fail but to put it next to the word of God in Deuteronomy 27, 28, the blessings and the cursings, where God says, the day you depart from me, I will be your enemy. I will chase you. I will plague you. I will burn you. I will slay you. I'll spread you throughout the whole earth. You cannot examine the history of the nation of Israel to the present day and fail to see that God's behind all this. Why? Because they rejected their God. Jesus wept over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37 39. Oh, Jerusalem, I send you the prophets. How often I wanted to gather you as a hand gathers the chicks on their wings, but you would not. So now I leave unto you desolate, and you should not see me henceforth. He said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he wept. He wept of a broken heart. He was interceding for his people. They rejected him. Today, they seek philosophies of men. They choose the things that God does not delight in. Religiosity. God declared that his answer to prayer would save the remnant. Notice third and last, and it's brief. Verses 13 through 16. God declared that he answers prayer in recompense 
or retribution. Those are the only two options, people. There's no third choice. God keeps it simple. Notice first in verse 13 and 14. The quality of life experience is a sharp contrast. The provision versus the lack of provisions. The authority is God's, says the Lord. His servants shall eat, but the rebellious be hungry. The servants shall drink, but the rebellious be thirsty. The presence of joy versus shame. In verse 13, still there, he says, His servants shall rejoice, but the rebellious shall be what? Ashamed. Can you imagine living for all eternity like that? The guilt. I mean, stop and think, if, if you and I had to give an account for all that we ever did, and you had to give an account for all that, how could you sleep at night? How could you die with peace in your heart? You couldn't. Notice the enjoyment of life versus the dreading of life in verse 14 is given. His servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail or spirit broken, grief of spirit or a broken spirit. Notice, secondly, the name of the cursed are remembered as that of those having been cursed. But the servants of God remain having a new name, verse 15 says. The remnant of Israel is the immediate context now. Certainly the name of the church today, Christian, is a new name given to us, believers. But the immediate context is Israel. But we know that in the kingdom there's also going to be many Gentiles. The church, primarily all Gentiles. You remember that God gave a new name to the city earlier? It was desolate, and he gave it my delight, married in Isaiah 62, 2 and 4. Well, here again now, a new name. God loves that. He gives a new name. Now, four times God repeats, my servants, once his servants, and once my chosen from verse 13 through 15. We are his possession. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He has created us, not we ourselves, as the psalm says. He is the authority over our life. You as a parent, you gave a name to your child. Now, sometimes I have to wonder some of the names that are given to children, but, um, but, but you know, you gave the name, and that child has to bear that name. But the name he gives you, the name he gives to the Jew, it's going to be a glorious name. You're going to love it. Now, notice thirdly here, verse 16. The entire blessing of man in the kingdom, they are due to submission to the Lord, looking and trusting in the God of truth, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. He will be the totality of life, the very source. Secondly, speaking in truth before God, before the God of truth. He says, and he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. Everything will be upright in a sincerity of heart, as God is the witness to everything. And then notice, thirdly, recognizing that they are new creatures because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. Ooh, 
All past troubles out of mine. All past troubles out of the Lord's sight and mine. What a glorious eternity. And the millennial kingdom is only one aspect of the total eternity. Amazing. Charles Spurgeon was showing some visitors over the tabernacle, meaning there his church in London. And after taking them to the main part of the building, he said, come, I'll show you the heating apparatus. Imagine their surprise when he took them down to a room where 400 were gathered in a prayer meeting. The church with warmth of spirit must have the warmth producing prayer meetings. This was the secret and the success of Mr. Spurgeon's preaching by his own words. As people of God, we need to be prayer warriors. Individually in our lives, collectively as a body. If we're going to make an impact, we're going to have to be men and women of prayer. In a greater way than we have ever been before. Because the day is evil. The blessing of God over one who turns to him in true repentance is without number. First of all, we have peace with God. We're no longer at war with him or he with us. We fellowship with him. We have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding for the situations of life. It's a great benefit. We have proper perspective for life as we get into the word of God and we understand the principles of scripture and how God works and what he likes, what he doesn't like, and we submit ourselves to that, it makes life a lot easier to, to guide, to steer. We don't have to be ensnared with all the junk. We don't have to say, oh, why, why? you know, if we, we can answer our own whys most of the time because I disobeyed. Because I'm not in line with God's word. There is a name, by the way, promise to the overcomer that only he or she knows when it's given to them in Revelation 2.17. For now, we are known as saints, believers, brothers, sisters, the faithful sons and daughters of God, even Christians. Before Christ, we were called sinners, lost, enemies, children of wrath. What a difference. Now we're new creatures. Old things are passed away. Everything has become new. A new relationship by God's grace. And so the submission of the believer here to the Lord and his word, here and now, are in part. But the kingdom, we will be just like him. We fall short here right now. But he's given us an advocate for the defense. Jesus Christ is righteous, 1 John 2, 1. But then I'll be just like him. A kingdom of priests and kings, Revelation 1, 6. We will be the bride of Christ and we will be spending a thousand years in our honeymoon in Revelation 20, verse 4 through 6. It's going to be an exciting time. I hope you're there. God declared that he answers prayer in recompense or retribution. Which will it be on your part? Will God's grace fall upon you? Or will his wrath? I pray that you turn from your sin. I pray that you call upon God. And 
you receive the mercies and the grace of God. George Mueller said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. I think God wants to do great things with us. But we need to pray more. Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up with some important thoughts on prayer from the book of Isaiah. And today's Bible study, God Answers Prayer, is available on CD for just $4. And by the way, this also includes what Pastor Xavier talked about the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is God Answers Prayer, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station in your correspondence. This helps us measure the impact of this outreach in your area. And be with us next time for more Simple Truths from God's Word with our teacher, Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 